Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I'm senior fashion reporter Danny Parisi, and this week I'm joined by my fellow fashion reporter, Zofia Zviglinska, to talk about some of the biggest fashion news of the week. Zofia, it is so good to talk to you. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. Excited to be back on again. We've got some exciting things to talk about. The uh, The first thing we're going to talk about is Nike's further adventures in digital fashion. Sophia, you've written a lot about this, so I'm excited to hear your thoughts. We'll talk a little bit about Chanel's new CEO, who is not a fashion person at all, and we've talked about whether that matters at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about Shein, um, their attempts to clean up their image, a little bit of an update on the conversation you and I had a couple of weeks ago. And we'll finish it off talking a little bit about Inditex, um, the parent company of Zara. They've got some leadership shakeups as well. Um, but let's start with Nike. So on Monday, Nike announced their plans to acquire a digital fashion company. So, Zofia, I had the absolute wrong idea of how to pronounce this company's name. R-T-F-K-T. Do, yeah. you, do you know how you're supposed to say it? So it's artifact, like an artifact. It's artifact. Yeah. Yes. Okay, that is not what I thought. <laughs> um, I thought it was something much more vulgar and have been calling it that to my teammates and to my girlfriend and stuff. And only just before recording this did I bother to look it up, and I'm very glad I did. It's Artifact, yeah, um, and it's not anything else. But they're they're very new, right? They, I, I feel like they were one of the first like companies that I heard about in sort of the digital NFT crypto fashion kind of space at the beginning of this year, and they're they're not even two years old, right? I think they just started last year, but they've had a huge, huge rise in their very short life. I think some of their digital sneakers that sold in like February or something this year were was like some of the biggest or some of the earliest um, like NFT fashion news stories that really started to make waves. Um, I saw that they had, I think, 600000 in monthly revenue last year, and now it's up to like $4.5 million in revenue this year. So definitely a huge and and very rapid rise. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Sophia? As someone, you, you've covered a lot of digital fashion stuff in the last couple of months. What, what, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Their kind of first big release was with the digital artist Ferocious, and they sold over $3.1 million worth of products in like seven minutes. Um, so they've had a massive kind of meteoric rise and they're very much linked into hype culture. And I think Nike wants to pick up on that. Their product is kind of very similar to the Nike trainer in some ways. I think bar the um, swoosh is essentially very streetwear focused and kind of focused on that sneaker space. So it seems like a kind of natural pairing. And with Nike making the, um, what was it, the acquisitions for the patents I think two weeks ago it plays into their metaverse strategy especially since Adidas are already picking up on metaverse things um, with partnering with Roblox to create a trio of digital characters and they also worked um, with Coinbase and grabbing some space in the virtual world with the sandbox so I think they're trying to kind of basically outpace each other at this point who is going to be the first real um, physical brand to enter the metaverse within that sneaker space and make it successful, essentially. Artifact definitely led the way when it comes to hype culture in in the digital space. I think that Nike may be edging in out a tiny bit in this one. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I mean, something that's been notable to me all year is it is so not surprising to me that 
the the first like the earliest and most fervent adopters of like crypto nft digital stuff in fashion is like in the streetwear sneaker world because i feel like it's exactly the same type of person who's into both like really into like limited like obsessed with like scarcity and exclusivity and and also like very on the edge um I, I personally have a lot of skepticism of NFTs and crypto and stuff in general, but I mean, it's undeniable that it's a huge thing. Like everybody's really interested in it, but um, it, it, it's interesting that Nike has acquired very few companies, I think, in in the time that they've been around. I think their last, like, I don't know if it's the, the only one they've acquired, but the last like big acquisition I can think of is Converse, which is like, you know, over 15 years ago at this point. What's interesting is... Uh, there's not a ton of details about the artifact acquisition just yet, but from what I saw, they kind of had it listed next to their other brands like Jordan and Converse, yeah, exactly. um, which I think sort of suggests that it's not just going to get absorbed into Nike as a whole, but that it'll sort of continue to be its own thing and like part of the Nike family, which on its own is just interesting that they view it sort of with a parody to Jordan and Converse and stuff as just like another brand in the portfolio. So Nike has done a little bit of um, digital fashion stuff, like you said. They also worked with Roblox last year. Uh, and I, I have to say uh, a correction slash note on last week's episode in which Jill and I talked about Roblox. And I made the foolish assumption that only 10-year-olds play Roblox. I received a kind um, but firm note from Roblox after that recording saying that their largest and fastest growing segment is 17 to 24 years old. Um, and that the more than half of the Roblox community is over 13 years old. So just wanted to say I was wrong. There, it's not all 10-year-olds. There's also 17-year-olds in there. Okay, last thoughts on on digital metaverse kind of goods. You've done a lot of writing on this topic. Um, do you think that this whole thing is going to collapse in a year or two or is, and everyone's going to look back and feel really embarrassed? Or do you genuinely think this might be a, a, a genuine new like region of the fashion world to explore? I think it's really interesting because it will kind of depend on how um, the coronavirus epidemic keeps going. Um, I think that with digital fashion growing so significantly last year, if, you know, shopping and retail doesn't come back to its regular levels from 2019, I fully expect that digital fashion will actually just keep growing and the NFT space will as a result as well. Um, so I do think that this at the moment anyway, it seems like it's just going to keep expanding. Um, I think one thing that is very interesting to note is that with, you know, Nike and um, Adidas and Artifact, it's it's going to be interesting to see how they also address the kind of female sneaker wear space because there's a lot done right now with crypto um, and kind of the male market, but there's not so much um, with the female market, which is also quite a significant portion of that gaming world. So I think it'd be interesting to see what they do there and how they incorporate NFTs there. Okay, our second topic is um, Chanel has this new CEO, Lena Nair, who is notably not a fashion person. Um, she comes from Unilever, um, which is not like the most far out of left field place, but she's also a most of her experiences in human resources. She was the chief human resources manager for Unilever for years. I think a lot of people framed this as like, you know, really surprising. Like she's this totally like not a fashion person at all. Obviously, she seems very capable and very smart, but just notable that she's like not a fashion person. Um 
To me, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Sophia, I feel like the CEO of a big luxury company does not need to be a fashion person. Like the the creative director and like the creative side of the business has so much control now over the image and the marketing and like so many of these things that like the CEO does not need to be, you know, some super like fashion insidery kind of person. They just need to be like, you know, a good business person. So I, I didn't think of it as like that. It's, it's definitely a little unusual, but I think nowadays, like, given how much control creative directors have over these big brands, I don't think it's that um, much of an issue. You know what I mean? Uh, so I'm curious, when you saw that news and you saw her background, like, did you have the same thought or, or do you think that it's more of a, I don't know, what do, what do you think of having someone totally not from the fashion world at all take over? No, I think it's really interesting. I mean, she seems like a very kind of competent person in terms of human resources. And she seems also to be, um, you know, a very kind of interesting figure in terms of um, diversity and what she brings to the brand as well for Chanel. I know that there's been a lot of kind of team shakeups at in, on an executive level at Chanel in recent years. So I think that this might be just a continuation of um, maybe realigning those brand values that are becoming so important for luxury brands with you know um conglomerates like caring already kind of shifting that way i think chanel might have been you know one or two steps behind so i think the appointment of nair might be a way for them to to take a lead and actually be able to to put a little bit more of those brand values in there which you know are only going to shape that luxury market more Right. And, and Chanel, I think it's safe to say, has to me never been like really a values company. Like I feel like yeah. they just have never been super interested in talking about that or and definitely not to the extent that Caring has um, or even LVMH, although I think LVMH is a little less so than Caring. But like yeah. Caring, you know, they talk a lot about sustainability. They talk a lot about all these like different ethical and like positive things they're doing. I feel like Chanel has just not cared that much or maybe just like not really put it on blast as much um so uh it might be too early to say but i feel like it's a little bit of a signal at least that by putting someone whose whole career has been about like you know focusing on people in the the top role you know that sends a message um although again we'll see if that actually plays out but I, i do think it's notable like to me when it comes to like a big european luxury fashion house like i feel like the ceo is like so invisible a lot of times like Mm. Did anybody ever associate Chanel with anyone other than Karl Lagerfeld, like, when he was <laughs> around? Like, I feel like, like he wasn't the CEO, but I feel like he was, like, for all intents and purposes, like, the face of the brand and, and like, had so much control over everything that the brand did. Um, and and his protege, Virginie Viard, has, been take, has taken over, and I feel like she's been a little less public than him, but has maintained, I think, a lot of that same sort of the the air of like mystery and opacity that Chanel I think is known for you know they're like not a very public brand they don't talk about a lot of stuff um I just think it's notable I I think the CEO is like obviously they have a lot of sway but it's also kind of like you know are people going to be mentioning Lena Nair in the in the headlines that much in the future Mm. probably not so I, I think they can get away with having somebody who like maybe has the the experience and the values they want it doesn't really, like I said, it doesn't really matter if she has a ton of fashion experience, I think, um, yeah. given that they have VR, like, you know, in the creative seat. Okay, any other thoughts on Chanel before we move on? 
Yeah, I just had one more thing. Um, I think with Ned, I'm actually going to disagree with you there. I think actually she will become more kind of public facing. I think she might actually take the lead on Chanel kind of having a little bit more of a brand identity when it comes to, you know, public statements and things like that. And there has been also some rumors about a possible sale or an IPO. Um, so I think that with her experience at Unilever, it might just be another way of, you know, putting a face to a name, essentially, um, and not just a creative one, but also, you know, a business one that is very prioritizing with diversity. And, you know, as the first kind of, I think she's the second CEO who's from an Indian origin background. So I think that it makes waves in, in that kind of space. Yeah, that's true. No, that that's a good point. I concede that point to you. Let's move on and, and talk a little bit about Shein. So a couple of weeks ago, you and I talked about um, a report that came out about some of their internal labor practices. Not surprising to anybody that they were not great. Um, but there is a little bit of an update on that, isn't there? So can you walk us through what's, yeah. uh, what's in the news? Absolutely. So um, there's been an appointment to a head of sustainability at Shein, which is interesting. Um, the person in charge is going to be Adam Winston, who's a former Disney and JCPenney executive. He was hired last month um, to be the kind of like the position title is going to be environmental, social and governance at Shein. But I'm not quite sure how he's going to be able to kind of change anything um, for the brand because a lot of the supply chain issues that are there kind of depend on their business model and the other way around. So I'm not sure if there's going to be any possible shifts in terms of business practices, but it seems like with um, with this appointment and also with hiring their first head of corporate communications, they're trying to make themselves a little bit more visible or at least try and deflect some of the commentary that they've been receiving. I mean, just this week, they've been in the news for a toddler coat that's been found containing lead in Canada and also a bug infestation in one of their packages in the US. So I think that they've definitely got a lot more to keep countering um, in the next you know, couple of months or next year or so. So this will definitely be an interesting turn, I would say, because it's one of the first kind of fast or ultra fast fashion brands that's appointed a head of sustainability let's just say a lot of the fast fashion brands already have that but not, no one yet from from that ultra fast fashion and sheen is definitely the biggest so yeah no I, I mean i think you're you're totally right that like just you know doing a few public facing things does not necessarily translate to material change um but i do think it's notable that even a company that like you know, their whole, like you said, their whole thing relies on ultra fast and ultra cheap and like inherently kind of unethical because of that. Um, but even they like are aware that they need to at least make some sort of gestures towards it. And I, I think that's like a good and a bad thing yeah. where there's lots of greenwashing and, and lots of um, whatever washing it's called where you pretend to treat your employees good. Um, but you know, there's a lot of that in the fashion industry. Everybody everybody knows that they should at least pretend to be um, environmentally friendly, even if they're not. However, mm. like, if the if the pressure is there and if everybody, like, knows that they should, like, I think that can translate to at least some people will actually make changes because just because the expectation is there and and there's, like, clearly demand for it. So who knows? I'm, I'm with you that I'm a little bit more cynical or skeptical that like just having a head of sustainability because I have heard stories from people who get put in the role of 
chief like diversity officer or head of like inclusion or something and they get put there and then like they don't get the resources and nothing really gets changed even though they're there's a person whose like job that is and i think the same could happen with sustainability but not to say that change is impossible is all i'm saying <laughs> yeah well i like your optimistic message but we will see i'm not particularly optimistic with Sheehan, but they've hired someone who's yeah. you know got great experience so hopefully they'll be able to make even you know a small drop in that ocean yeah absolutely okay last thing we're going to talk about is inditex um you probably know as the parent company of zara um they had some also had some leadership shakeup. um this week and, and over the last month. Um, I think it was in November that their previous CEO, Pablo Isla, I think is how you say his last name, um, stepped down sort of abruptly, which had a lot of people nervous. He's been there for like a decade. Um, Marta Ortega, who's the daughter of Into Texas founder, is taking over and she's a lot younger, has a lot less experience. So I think there was a lot of nerves around that. What have you seen, Sophia? What, so they had earnings this week and, and talked about some of the progress they've made. Um, anything notable come out of that? Yeah, so I mean, Marta Ortega specifically is kind of looking at the luxury market. And I think that there's been a kind of a shift recently with Zara launching their Zara Atelier, I think it's been called. Um, so I think that there's a couple more shifts towards making at least part of the collection more fashion focused or imitating the brands that, you know, they've already been imitating for I don't know how many years, um, except now actually making it kind of more public, essentially. So I'm hoping that she will actually be able to shift it in, in a kind of more sustainable direction as well. But, um, you know, bringing a kind of younger field to to the shakeup, to, to the whole kind of executive aspect will definitely be uh, a big change because the the original CEO has been there for a very long time. So I think it might might be a little bit of a, a new an injection of new blood, let's just say. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and I, I think uh, a lot of investors and stuff liked the previous CEO, Pablo Izzo, because yeah. the company had grown so much um, during his time. But, you know, as you and I know, like, you know, pure revenue growth is does not indicate like good for the world or anything and a lot of times mm. is the opposite um so uh, yeah I'm, I'm with you like they're the the largest fashion retailer in the world i think or one of and um you know if they can make changes if marta ortega can make changes that are positive i think that's i think that can there's a when you have a big um platform you know you have the opportunity for for big impact i believe this week they said that they had like tripled their revenue from in the last nine months compared to the year before which obviously the year before was you know march and april of covid so like you know everyone's <laughs> revenue was zero um but still i mean that's definitely a lot of progress and, and i think that um zara is like such a titan you know globally that you know i i, I think that they're going to keep growing sort of regardless yeah, and what's interesting right now is that obviously, like, I think they reported they were up 10% compared to 2019, which might be a little bit more representative as to, like, where we are in terms of the, the sales figures rather than last year, which you're right, is a completely ridiculous comparison. Um, but the main thing is the fact that the Omicron variant right now is gathering pace in Europe and with both their production and, you know, a vast number of their customer-based based in Europe, this might actually affect Christmas sales and um, the sales 
happening post Christmas um, into January. So I'm not sure if Marta will be involved in that, but it's definitely a lot to be entering into. I think a slightly smoother transition may have been a little easier, but with this, I think she's actually stepping into quite a difficult time for the brand again and having to maybe reposition her again um, similarly to, to last January. Okay, that's all the time we have for this week. Thank you so much for being here, Zofia. Thank you. This was the last Week in Review episode for this year, but uh, keep your eyes peeled for a Year in Review episode with me and Jill, um, which will come out before the end of the year, talking about the biggest stories from the entire year. Think of it as like Week in Review, but supersize. All right, thank you for listening, and we'll talk soon. Yeah.